This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. You're home for all the news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. Appreciate you hanging out here on this Wednesday night. We've got football on the airwaves 24 hours from now, live from the Hammer. David Morley out in Hamilton, Ontario, and the Tiger Cats are set to play host. Second and final meeting between these two sides this year. Oh, did I mention it's Brendan Escott in for Reed tonight? I'm back on Friday as well, in case you're liking what you're hearing. But uh, yes, this football game uh, tomorrow is uh, going to be an interesting one for both sides. Neither one of them with a quarterback that they started the season with. It is Trey Ford, of course, with his second straight start for Edmonton. And it's Taylor Powell at the helm of the Tiger Cats, who's in place because Bo, Le- Bo Levi Mitchell has not been able to stay healthy. But uh, lots of other storylines, of course. So we'll bring aboard our color analyst on 630 Chad for Elks Football, Dave Campbell, live from Hamilton. Dave, thanks for jumping on. How's it going? It's going well, Brennan. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I'll give you first an opportunity. I mean, I talked to Morley last night about the changes at the front office level now. We were dealing with changes in terms of football uh, operations and on-the-field stuff, and now we're we're looking at the off-the-field stuff. And uh, just, I guess, get a thought from you and, and what strikes you about the decision. Was it the right one made at the right time? Well, considering all we're hearing about why the decision was made, uh, I don't know if the club could have gone any further, uh, considering what we've heard about the conduct and behind the scenes and the, the you know, the alleged toxic nature. And, um, you know, it's it's unfortunate and they could have, you know, wrote it out to the end of the season. But, you know, I, I'm going to go back to a comment that Blake made on Monday during the Elks this week. Maybe this just stops the bleeding for for now, right? And you can move on and you can get through the rest of the season and make sure your business side is uh, at least, you know, hopefully going to tread water. And we'll see who's brought in the next two, three weeks. It brings up a lot of questions about, you know, the board of directors, the structure of the community ownership, which overall has been a very successful model. It's really being tested now, uh, private ownership and, you know, what this team needs in a president. And unfortunately, they haven't really got that right over the last uh, the couple, for sure. So, you know, it's unfortunate. You know, I've had good dealings with Victor, but that doesn't mean, you know, it was all, you know, it was all good all the time in, uh, you know, in, in the office and everything. So, you know, we're just hearing too much. Uh, and I've heard too much about just the, 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 the behind-the-scenes dealings, and it was really, really tough for a lot of people you can't have that much staff leave and especially have high-ranking staff that are that are on leave and uh, more that are threatening to, to to leave so that that's a problem so they had to address the problem i know it's not a popular move with everybody but at the same time i mean 
sometimes, you know, you got to make the unpopular move to make the right move. So we'll see if it's the right move. And at least right now, it, it just appear like the bleeding has stopped a little bit and they can move on and get, get someone fresh in for the time being until they find a permanent president. Now, well, it's going to be an interesting uh, search, I would think, because it's a, it, it, you know, I don't know what appeal there is for this right now it would have to be somebody let, let me just ask you i mean what do you think the ideal candidate in the short term is and, and and in the long term what are some qualities that this candidate for the ceo the president of the of the elks football team needs to have i i see the last two have been devoid of cfl knowledge in their prior experiences mm. and i wonder how much that hindered things in the end yeah, and you go back to Chris Preston, I mean, how much did COVID affect what he was able to do as well, right? I mean, that we'll never know. We'll never know the full extent of Chris Preston, sadly. And let's face it, I mean, COVID wasn't, uh, wasn't something we all planned for at the same time. It's something he didn't handle very well. So, you know, we know why he's not here. Uh, I, you know, I think about really not just, you know, I'm not thinking to the permanent side of things, you know, when they, when they finally get, their permanent president. I am really curious to see who the, who the interim will be uh, that'll be brought in the next two or three weeks and how that person will help steward this along. So, you know, who's my ideal for a president? Well, you know, I, I look at Winnipeg, I look at Wade Miller, former player, you know, and someone who's uh, savvy on the business side that, I mean, that's the win-win, right? But you don't always get that, you know, uh, Rick Lawlisher is a good example who, you know, played in sports. I mean, he was a you know, hockey guy, and he, he knew the sports business. They need someone like that, I would say, just someone that understands the sports market, someone understands the sports business, that understands Edmonton. And if he's a former player, um, that's that's a bonus. So I, I think it is someone that has to know uh, the inner workings of the CFL well, the inner workings of Edmonton. And if you can find a former player, that's great. But I think it's just someone that understands uh, the business and what the business needs now. Hello, Dave Campbell joining us uh, from Hamilton. Uh, Dave, homecoming once again for Trey Ford. Good and bad from last week. There was plenty that we saw that we liked, explosion plays that this offense was missing in the first half of the season, but he definitely has rawness in his game as well. Yeah, there's no question. And, you know, when the change was made from Stephen McAdoo to Jarius Jackson for the offensive coordinator position, I think there was a lot of people going, thank goodness, you know, because Jarius Jackson's going to open up the offense. And, and you know, maybe we didn't see that exactly. We kind of saw some glimpses of it last week. And uh, we asked Chris Jones, Morley and I today, uh, was that the plan just to have him throw, you know, maybe the plan wasn't 16 times, but just have him, you know, throw – uh, uh, I don't know what the right word is. Maybe you know, limited number of passes is what I I, I can think of. I don't know if that's the right word. <laughs> A but, pitch count. Um, yeah. Well. Okay. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> that's the one. Um, and he said, you know, in, in a way, yes, because they wanted to get the run game going. They certainly did, Brennan. I mean, that first drive. That's as physical as I have seen this team all season long. They were manhandling the Winnipeg Blue Bombers up front. And then, of course, Kevin Brown has the big run to open the game. The second drive, they have, uh, uh, you know, they basically ran the ball the almost the whole drive or pretty much the whole drive, except maybe a couple at the end. And then Trey Ford gets the touchdown. And then things kind of quieted down. And we know the Elks just didn't have the same sharpness and edge after 22-0. Uh, they did get the touchdown to Kyron Moore. But I think we have to pull back a little bit and remember, Jerry's Jackson, this is weak 
or I guess I would count week three as the coordinator because he did have the bye week. Um, there is some, uh, th- there's only so much you can change of an offense at this point in the season. But I think that the, the important thing we got to remember too, Trey Ford is only going to start his fifth game. That's it, right? So he's relatively young and raw and you have to bring him along slowly, but not put the shackles on him, which Jarius Jackson doesn't want to do. You know, it's about communicating well with him, finding out what on, you know, what on the, on the play cards suits, uh, which play suits Trey Ford well, but you know, they, they got to let him do what he does. And, you know, hopefully he can make good decisions with his arm, but you know, he's going to make good decisions with his feet and, and try and get out of trouble when he is in trouble and find a way uh, be intentional with those legs and, and try to attack the uh, Ticats defense tomorrow. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, last week I said, if he gets 235 and 50 yards rushing, that's probably a good night for Trey Ford. So I'm going to slap that uh, those two numbers uh, on the board again. And if he gets near those or close to those or above those, it's going to be a good night for Trey Ford. Yeah, well, I'm looking at his uh, his first appearance in Hamilton there, 180, uh, 159 air yards and 60 on the ground, and then 189 last week through the air and 50 on the ground. So he's got the running part of it down, and I, I think you can see the potential of the whole team's running game when you look at how versatile Trey is on the ground and how much defenses have to account for that. I don't think they exploited it as much in the second half, clearly, as they did in the first half of that game against Winnipeg. But the potential you can see is there. That's the sound of Brock's jelly beans being poured into a candy bowl. Oops. And the sound of hosting your first family brunch. Listen to the sweet sonic musings of Brock's jelly beans swirling in your sister's favorite candy bowl. Well, second favorite. But thanks to these delicious, beloved beans, she'll never know it's a replacement. Or that you and your cousin broke it trying to decorate a cake. Brock's. Make moments sweeter. Head to Brock's.com to shop now. Yeah, it is for sure. And I, I think they can find a way. If they can find a way to balance the offense. And, you know, as, as well as they ran the football, they didn't run the football as well in the second half. And it went away pretty quickly. And, you know, I asked Chris Jones, What's going on with Kevin Brown, do you think? You know, he we've seen him with the explosion runs, and he has quite a few of them this year. The 10-yarder, the 10-yarders, uh, I think he still leads the league in 20-plus runs. Um, but it's just those little ones, like those five- to seven-yard runs that we're not seeing as much. And he's, you know, basically not, you know, maybe not wanting to uh, be as physical as he was last year for some reason. And, and you know, because last year we saw him and he ran with such power and force and with, with an attitude and we're just not seeing it the same. And perhaps he is just, you know, he did say earlier in the season, or actually not too long ago, that I'm pressing too much and I just got to free myself mentally and just go play. And, you know, Shannon Brooks is hanging around too. The problem with Shannon Brooks, Brendan, is he plays on all four special teams. So you don't want to overextend him, but you do want to find a way to get him in the offense. So um, there just has to be more consistency with Kevin Brown. And you got Trey Ford's running ability. And you got Geno Lewis back in the lineup tomorrow as well. So if you can find a way to get that run pass uh, balance, uh, this team could be pretty dangerous on offense. Certainly. Chatting with the color analyst of the Edmonton Elks here on 630, Chad Dave Campbell live in Hamilton ahead of this game tomorrow.
goes at 5.30 our time. Dave, you mentioned Gino Lewis's return. That was one we were waiting for for a while. It felt even longer because the records remained winless, and you know that this was the piece they brought in to be a difference maker in the offseason. He flashed immediately what he could do with that 102-yard catch and run, and then we haven't been able to see the shiny new toy since. How big is the buzz around his return? How meaningful is his return to this team? Well, it's pretty big, and you can, you know, when you go back to when uh, the, the the opening day of free agency back on February 14th, the signing of Eugene Lewis, the signing of Stephen Dunbar, the signing of Kyron Moore, and you're going, wow, that's a pretty good receiving core, and you add in Dylan Mitchell, and we just haven't seen it yet. And you look at the receiving core now compared to when Lewis was in the lineup for the first three games. You know, Dylan Mitchell was really non-existent. Stephen Dunbar was uh, was catching most of the of the targets. Kyron Moore wasn't a, a an every down receiver, and now Kyron Moore has really come on over the last few games. Dylan Mitchell has really come on. Uh, Brendan, he has three straight games where he has caught a fifty-plus yard reception. So, this is the Dylan Mitchell we saw in the last eight games. In 2022, you know, Stephen Dunbar has got to get going. Manny Arsenal is just going to be someone who's going to work hard and block and 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 get those tough yards. And here comes Eugene Lewis, who says, I'm the 90-10 guy, not the 50-50 guy. I don't catch 50-50 balls. I catch 90-10 balls. But that being said, Trey Ford can't force it to, uh, to Eugene Lewis. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, everyone is deployed. I, I'm quite curious to see. Uh, the deployment because Eugene Lewis is listed as the short side wide receiver. Dylan Mitchell's moving out to the wide side slot. And what we have seen out of Jarius Jackson as the OC is that he is more willing to move receivers around and try and get favorable matchups. But man, it's nice to have eight, seven back in the, back in the lineup. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, Give me 90 seconds on on what we're expecting to see out of this Tiger Cats team. They've got a new offensive coordinator as well, and one that humorously is, is not unfamiliar to Edmonton fans. Well, he's a former head coach of the Edmonton football team, Brendan. In 2020, (laughs) he didn't play a single game, unfortunately. Uh, We were reminiscing about that today, Morley and I. You know, uh, a very cold day in January at a at a bar in uh, in Sherwood Park, and Scott Milanovic is introduced in his coaching staff. And sadly, um, by the end of 20 or early in 2021, he was gone and uh, left for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, yeah, new offensive coordinator. So they're going through what the Elks are going through. And, um, you know, compared to Stephen McAdoo, Tommy Condell got let go, who is still considered a very big, uh, a, a very good offensive mind, rather. And I don't think he'll be out of work long. But they just felt that Milanovic, I mean, he was around anyway. So they, you know, they're going to utilize him at the OC spot. They have uh, Taylor Powell uh, starting at quarterback, and they kind of need – the offense led by him to get going. Uh, Brendan, he has three touchdowns in 32 drives led. And remember, when Taylor Powell first got on the field in Edmonton, he scored a touchdown. So mm-hmm. you can knock that off and you go, well, now that's two drives that ended in touchdowns out of 31. So they got to get their offense going. But we know what James Butler did uh, on July 13th, 200 yards of offense plus combined uh, from uh, yards from scrimmage rather. But you know, the, the one thing that intrigues me about this matchup is the Elks receiving core, long physical receivers against the Tiger Cats secondary 
who do have athletes, but they are undersized. So there's opportunities here for the Elks to hurt the Ticats. Looking forward to it tomorrow, Dave. We'll have you on the call at 5.30, but, you know, we'll uh, talk to you in the Countdown to Kickoff show as well. Thanks for the time. I look forward to it. Talk to you tomorrow, Brandon. All right, Dave Campbell, the color analyst for the Edmonton Elks. Again, a 5.30 kickoff against the Tabbies tomorrow. We have the West Coast Baseball Leagues, the WCL's Pitcher of the Year, coming up next on Inside Sports. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chan. You're actually listening to one of the best bass lines in music ever. Oh, Gordon, I'll say it. I'll go out and say it. Our yep. Lady Peace. They softened up a little over their albums, but when they first hit the scene, which is kind of when I first hit the scene as a human being, but I discovered it because my parents listened to it. Uh, they were awesome in the mid-90s. Our Lady Peace with Navid. Halen Knoll with uh, an incredible season on the diamond, and we are pleased to have borrowed some time today from a very busy individual, uh, no doubt, and I, I hear he might actually even be out the province right now he is a pitcher from Edmonton he is pitching for the Riverhawks and he is now the West Coast League's pitcher of the year Halen Knoll on Inside Sports right now Halen uh, just start by telling me how you you found the news out yeah I've just did Toronto for a little vacation uh, uh kind of a surprise getting a call on my way back from Niagara Falls so uh it was, uh, it was pretty interesting to just get that call. Yeah, I guess so. So how does it sound when uh, when I tell you, you know, pitcher of the year, when you think of all the work that's gone into this sort of thing to, to, to be recognized with this sort of platform, what does that sound like? What does that mean to you? Uh, it's so awesome. I, I like Especially winning it with the Riverhawks. Uh, it means so much. Obviously, it's great to get uh, feedback from your performances, and it's something I'm going to remember forever. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're you're a local product here, and and your time around the diamonds like that goes back to your dad, as I understand it. I was talking with Steve Hogle, and and he was saying that baseball's in your blood a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, kind of in my family's blood. We've all played baseball. I, I was lucky enough to take it off further than further than everyone else, but it's pretty awesome. My dad coached me all the way up until I got to about eighteen years old, and then. Moved on from there, played Fremden Collegiate, and now I'm here. So the the stats read like this as we chat with Halen Nall here on Inside Sports, the uh, West Coast League's Pitcher of the Year. Uh, leading the league with 73 innings pitched, second in strikeouts with 52, 220 earned run average. That's in the top five. So is his five wins on the season. Longevity must have been the key. Obviously, you're leading the league in innings, not necessarily an easy thing to do. Uh, so talk about uh, not only, I guess, the mental battle, but obviously the battle physically and keeping yourself sort of stretched out and able to do that. Yeah, the the season's such a grind. We have so many games and such a short time. So, getting yourself, make sure you bounce back day to day. It's uh, it's really awesome. What do you think is is really factored into the success now? Your twenty three year old season. Do you feel like you've you've taken a bit of a step forward? The tweak of mechanics. What are what are some things that you've prioritized recently that you think may have led to this kind of success? Yeah, I think my flexibility as a pitcher is my greatest asset. Being able to uh, like, use my arm as much as I need to 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 uh, get the win and uh, throw a lot of pitches and stuff. And uh, 
I mean, it's it's turned out well. Uh, yeah. Uh, battling through a bit of a slow start to the season with the team, but 18 wins by the time it was all said and done. Just talk to me about the journey for you playing for the hometown Riverhawks and, uh, and and finally getting an opportunity to. I know, like, just personally speaking, I lived downtown for a couple of years right across in the stadium and never got to see a ball game there because of the cancelled seasons and that sort of thing. So actually getting to be a member of it and, and playing in all those games this year, just tell me about the experience. Yeah, we uh, we I mean we started 0 and 7, and the the whole feeling was like we're gonna win, we're gonna win. Like oh, Adam Antrek, that's like the number one thing he said at the start. He's like, we're gonna win, we're gonna win, guys. Don't worry, because there's a little bit of panic at the start. Uh, started winning a few games, and then near the end of the season, the second half, we really turned it on and and uh, beat the teams we should. And it was uh, yeah, it was good second half to the season for sure. I get the sense that you guys are working with some of, if not the best facilities in the West Coast League. Tell me what the reviews are from yourself, uh, from your teammates about playing at uh, at Remax Field. It looks so beautiful from the st- uh, the spectators' standpoint. Oh, definitely. Uh, it's definitely the best stadium for the fans. Uh, seats the most. And uh, the facilities of players are unmatched. We get weight room in our clubhouse and stuff, a hot tub that I actually broke midway through the season. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been awesome. Can I ask what the hot tub story is or is that better uh, for off air? Oh yeah, I can, I could tell the hot tub story. Uh, basically it, it needed about four inches of water. So I put the hose in it to fill it up and then I left for the night and forgot. Oh, so it no. overflowed. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so I bet you. The season, yeah. Oh, that's spectacular. That is an amazing story. Chatting here with uh, Halen Knoll, West Coast League Pitcher of the Year. A couple more questions for you. Uh, the name Halen, I got to ask, were your, were your parents Van Halen fans? Yeah, my dad was named after Van Halen. That's absolutely electric. I love it. I was hoping that would be the case. Um, tell me about uh, what the next steps for you are here. You mentioned the colleg- Collegiate League, and uh, you know, I know you're 23 now, so kind of in a, an area where you could be playing some college ball still. What do, what do the next steps look like for you now, Halen, after winning this award? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm pretty old for college now, but uh, luckily, just because of COVID, it kind of helped me out uh, with catching up to everyone. I wasn't very good in my first year of college. Uh, so the two years of COVID kind of let me catch up and get on this level. So obviously I, now I'm older than most people. I think I'm three years older than the average person in the West Coast League. Um, but uh, I don't think age matters when it comes to baseball just because you can play for so long. So uh, definitely going to be playing for a while, hopefully going to pro ball next year, uh, see what opportunities where I'm played to get me. It's going to be fun. Well, I, uh, I congratulate you on the award. You've represented Edmonton spectacularly and uh, I look forward to following your career as you move along here, Halen, but for now, we'll let you get back to enjoying the big smoke, okay? Excellent. Thank you. Halen Knoll, Edmontonian Edmonton Riverhawk, best pitcher in the West Coast League. Sounds pretty good. Brendan Escott in on Inside Sports. We had to leave it this way, didn't we? That's it for Hour 1. Hour 2 coming up after this next newscast. Tony Brar from Oilers TV in the house.